Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi again, friends. This is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary, and I'm Don Payne, your host. Today, we revisit another past episode of Engage 360 that has become a listener favorite. In episode 23, we had the opportunity to highlight an incredible example of collaboration between four different denominational ministries. I was able to sit down with the pastors known as Four Amarillo in Amarillo, Texas, and hear about their creative mission projects, what they've learned from embracing their denominational diversity, and how we can live as one through the unity that's found in Jesus Christ. So if you're a new listener to Engage 360 since that time, we hope you enjoy this unique and, and really practical introduction to the work happening in Amarillo, Texas through the leadership of these pastors. Hope you enjoy this episode. Take care. Many people know where Amarillo is, or at least know of it. If you don't, it's a city of just under 200,000 in the Texas panhandle. And while it's a bit isolated from a geographical perspective, I've learned over the past few years that it hosts a really thriving and a quite creative ministry community. So this week, we have the privilege of interacting with and learning from an interesting group of pastors from very different churches here in Amarillo. Uh, they're, uh, they're different, yet they're involved um, with their congregations in some really creative and collaborative ministry together for the good of this city. And they even have a sort of group identity and a name. They call themselves For Amarillo, For that is the numeral, For Amarillo. And the name denotes four historic congregations in downtown Amarillo, First Baptist Church, First Presbyterian Church, Central Church of Christ, and the Polk Street United Methodist Church. And these gentlemen have um, joined forces in ministry across their denominational lines, yet without diluting or ignoring their own theological traditions. So I want to welcome them to Engage 360, and let me introduce uh, each one briefly, and then ask each one to say a little bit uh, more about themselves and their congregation. So we'll just go alphabetically. Uh, first, we have Dr. Howie Batson, who is senior pastor of First Baptist Church. Uh, we have Dr. Howard Griffin, who is the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church. Uh, Reverend Alan Stanglin is the senior minister of Central Church of Christ. And I also happen to know that he's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer fan, so he may want to weigh in on that here along the line. Uh, and then uh, Reverend Mark Welshimer is the senior pastor of Polk Street United Methodist Church. So, uh, gentlemen, welcome to Engage 360. We're glad you have you here. And we'll start with uh, Howie Batson and ask you to introduce yourself a little bit more. I'm Howie Batson. I've been at First Baptist Church of Amarillo starting my 25th year. I'm a native of South Carolina and uh, came to Texas as quickly as I could, as they say. Um, Amarillo is a great city. It's kind of a pioneer spirit. We are a little bit isolated here, and maybe that's why we do stick together, because uh, the wind is tough and the rain is seldom, and so we got to hold hands and, and make it through the climate and the culture that we have here. But it's a great city, great city to raise a family in, and uh, churches in downtown Amarillo are doing well. Mark. Uh, my name is Mark Welshimer. I'm the pastor at Polk Street United Methodist Church, and I've been here about eight months. And it's been a joy to be a part of the Four Amaro Coalition, uh, being a part of the VBS um, and part of the uh, Monday Thursday service, 
and just seeing all these different people come together as one in Christ. I'm a uh, the senior pastor of uh, the most, I guess, the most historic church here in town and uh, having a lot of influence in the area and a lot of influence in the United Methodist Church has been humbling for me to be a part of this historic um, congregation, but also looking and seeing where the future is leading us, where God's leading Polk Street, also Amarillo, and how to be the hands and feet of Christ in a relevant way for Amarillo. Good. Thanks. Alan. My name is Alan Stanglin, and I'm the senior minister at the Central Church of Christ uh, here in downtown Amarillo. And we've been here uh, eight years, just starting our ninth. And uh, it's interesting. Central is a 111-year-old church, but among us four, we're the newest, uh, the youngest church in the group. And um, I am just, you know, it's big news when the Church of Christ, I think, cooperates with anybody on anything. And so to be a part of this group of four, not just the friendships that we have uh, as pastors together here, but but the way that God has brought our four congregations together uh, to do some really incredible things, I think, is such a witness to our city and such an important thing for our people and for anybody who's paying attention at all to what the churches are doing here in Amarillo. And I, I want to agree with Howie. I'm not sure I'm not sure I've ever lived in a town where something like this could be pulled off. And I think it's just the culture of this city, uh, kind of that pioneer. We've got kind of a chip on our shoulder. It's us against the world kind of mentality. And so we do stick together. And God has used that, I think, with our four churches in really powerful ways. That's great. Howard. Yes, I'm Howard Griffin, uh, pastor of First Presbyterian Church here in Amarillo. Uh, originally from Midland, Texas, so I'm a native West Texan. So uh, I know M- my, uh, Mark's from uh, El Paso originally as well. So we have a couple of native West Texans. But great to be back uh, in West Texas uh, doing ministry here. I agree with everything that has been said. You know, Amarillo is a unique community uh, that we are uh, kind of the top of Texas in the panhandle. But what I love about uh, Amarillo is it's a great place to raise a community. And as we collaborate together in mission and ministry, I just see how God has been multiplying its impact. And I think it's great that our four churches, which are the four downtown Protestant churches, really as far as historic uh, downtown churches, uh, not competing, but really collaborating, seeing how we can make a difference for the sake of God's kingdom and seeing how people within the city have noticed that. And uh, it was amazing when we first started this, we were actually headlined uh, near, we were headliner of the uh, year award for the Emerald Globe News, which we joked about the fact it should not be headline news that four churches decided to work together. But I'm afraid uh, <laughs> we live in a competitive culture, and I guess that was a new new news for people. But we're we're grateful to be here, and I love my brothers that we get to work together and pray for each other and, and really be colleagues in ministry together. Okay, so for Everello, who came up with the name? I'm not taking credit for that. Uh, we that was a collaborative thing. Um, for Amarillo, I mean, it's four churches, but it's for the city of Amarillo. So it just, that made sense, right? I remember, uh, Bert Palmer, who was at Polk Street at the time, um, we were just out to lunch one day and just kind of drew the number four and drew our, drew our church logos around it on a napkin at Green Chili Willies or somewhere. I can't even remember where we were, but that's kind of how that started. And then, you know, it just, it kind of went from there. I, I remember... I was also the last one to come to town uh, of these four. Howie's been here for a long, 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 long time. And so 
it was interesting that besides Howie, who'd been here, I guess, 17, 18 years when this started, um, I came to town, no roots here, no family here. I didn't know anything about Amarillo, Texas. And Howard Griffin, who had just been here three or four months before I got here, called me up on the phone and said, let's go get some enchiladas. I'd like to meet you. Welcome you to town. I think Howie had done the same for him. And then it just it just kind of the friendship started. This didn't really start out as the churches coming together. It was our own individual friendships and collaborative friendships together. And uh, those those monthly lunches and times to pray together and pray with each other uh, just turned into what God's doing through our churches now. And for Amarillo, just seemed like a good thing. The name the name has stuck. Okay. Well, I'm thinking you could almost make a a visual brand out of that that somebody could put on a on a cow's rear end, right? This could be kind of a ranch brand. Hey, I've been sort. called worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to be discreet here, you know. <laughs> but you, you could really go places, you know, with the right kind of marketing manager. You could go somewhere with all this. It, it was interesting. The first time I think all four of us had lunch was actually at my church. Uh, my local missions pastor had a concept of a ministry opportunity in the San Jacinto neighborhood, which is one of the poorest neighborhoods, which is very close to our churches where all of us were doing ministry in different ways and it was called the navigator neighbor program so i kind of pitched that idea to these men and and then we talked about the fact that you know vbs is happening uh, down there as well and now there's a heal the city which is a free medical clinic uh, here in amarillo that's in that part of the city so we realized all four of our churches were already laboring and trying to serve and minister to that particular community and we said wouldn't it be greater if we put all of our resources together to help impact the city together so tell us a little bit more, and uh, for listeners, we're going to do the clunky thing of trying to share two mics among five people here, so <laughs> indulge us on this. But um, Y'all weigh in and tell us a little bit more about some of the ministry projects that you collaborate on as congregations. You know, one thing I'd say first, Don, is the four churches have been able to collaborate on these mission projects before because the four pastors have come together. So if anybody's going to do this, you have to have four pastors coming together or however many before you can have four churches coming together. Okay. The churches have always been here, but it was only when this group of men were pastors that this happened. Okay. And so people think it's a remarkable thing, but if you can get four people together by doing that, now we've got, you know, 8,000 people together, but it took four coming together to yeah. start with. Yeah. And so the beginning of this thing is getting pastors to love each other, pray for each other and, and want to work together. And then that, blossomed out into these ministry projects yeah what a concept huh body of christ I mean, great who, concept. who would have thought great concept <laughs> uh, we've done several things one thing is at thanksgiving we have a, a sort of a gratitude service for all that god has done in our individual churches and in our community and in, in for amarillo and that's a wonderful thing because the choirs come together the ministers of music come together and um and we really find that for Amarillo extends beyond these four churches. It's really just a paradigm or a model for bringing the whole city together because I'll have someone say now, uh, Howie, I don't go to any of those four churches, but can I come to the Thanksgiving service? We say, sure you can. Mm -hmm. And so, and we've even encouraged other churches to get in groups of four and come together throughout this city. And so uh, the reality is it's really just become a paradigm or a model for the whole city working together. Okay, okay. Other things going on. What are um, I mean? I guess this is triggered by some of the needs of the city, but you obviously have a, a a good sense of the pulse of the city and of what's going on and what what are the needs um, that that you need to partner together to address. 
So First Baptist had a tradition of hosting a vacation Bible school at a local elementary school, and so our four churches decided to collaborate on that. And then uh, Allen's church at Central had an opportunity to help rehab a house uh, as well. So we had kind of a construction project, and we had vacation Bible school the last week of June. We all did that together the first year, and we decided to allocate different rooms. I thought it was kind of funny that Presbyterians got the most expensive room, the kitchen. I was later <laughs> told I was predestined to take that one. So anyway, <laughs> but... Yeah, so we, we worked on that, and then we did some ramps, a ministry, and we helped rehab a uh, apartment complex for the Downtown Women's Center recently, where all of our churches painted and rehabbed. So every year, we do the, the last week of June, we do a vacation Bible school at two local elementary schools, and then we do some type of construction or rehab project as well as a part of that. I remember um, one of the part of the genesis of this thing is that during one of our monthly lunches together, um, I think Polk Street was thinking about doing a food pantry and doing some kind of a food giveaway. And I said, well, good night. We've been doing that at Central for years. we got a really cool thing going on on Thursday mornings. Why don't you send some of your volunteers over to us, and we'll you know, figure that out together. No sense in reinventing the wheel. And I know us at Central, we were thinking about an ESL program. And Howie said, well, my word, we've been, you know, we've been teaching ESL at our church for a long time. Why don't you send your volunteers over to us, and we can work on that together. And so it turned into a just a thing where we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Why Why not just work together and come together? And so it's really, uh, you talk about us not being non-competitive and being collaborative. First Baptist just runs those vacation Bible schools, but then we pull our, our volunteers and First Baptist trains, uh, trains us, and then we do that together. We're, we're feeding kids and feeding families and playing kickball and basketball together, but then also teaching them Bible verses. And I don't know how many kids come out to that every year, but it's at two different elementary schools. And uh, in addition to the service projects, we've done a community garden uh, together, and uh, the, the downtown women's center thing was, was beautiful, but um, the school supplies, that's right. We, uh, we've always collected school supplies together. Uh, each of us kind of has an elementary school that we work with individually. And so we'll do that together as well. But, but like you said, Don, we, we try to identify what the needs are and they are many here in downtown. But what we realized as a group, you know, our churches are all within five blocks of each other down here. And we're all involved in similar ministries. We're all ministering to the same people in the same kinds of conditions. And so it just feels real natural for us to be together like this. I'd say one of the most meaningful uh, experiences has been the four Amarillo uh, VBS at night. That was the one that I was more involved with. And um, a lot of my people came. They cooked dinner one night. But the uh, fun thing was was um, seeing all the people who were volunteering in the different green shirts. It's all the same shirts but different people. And coming together and playing with kids, being a part of it, not uh, – not being territorial about who was going to do what, but being very gracious and just seeing people work together from different perspectives. You could obviously tell that they had different traditions, but as they came together, they were willing to serve some of the kids who in our community aren't served, aren't blessed. And you could tell that the community around the school came together and they came and they came and they enjoyed VBS. They heard about the gospel. Um, they were fed every night from different groups and I was, um, it, was very, uh, it was a very compelling message to see all these green shirts come together as one and serve some of these people. So mm -hmm. it was a blessing for us. 
We also did a diaper collection for the Crisis Pregnancy Center. In fact, as we're sitting here just talking, I'm kind of remembering all these things we've done, and yeah, it really good. is more than I had remembered. You know, one thing uh, I thought about was we naturally assume that churches or bodies of Christ cooperate best along denominational lines, and that is no longer a safe assumption in our culture. The word Baptist can mean a million different things, and now I think even Presbyterian can mean many different things, and maybe even Church of Christ. And so I would say, honestly, that I have some more affinity with these brothers at this table than I would some other Baptist churches in town. And so uh, it's not always best that churches are most easily or naturally cooperate along the state denominational lines. Maybe ours is really a proximity or a geographical union working in downtown Amarillo okay. versus the churches that have moved out to the southwest part of town where uh, the middle class or suburban houses are. We've stayed right here where the real heart of ministry is, and okay. that gives us a commonality that I wouldn't have with a Baptist church that's on the southwest part of town. And so we all call Jesus Lord. We all have a passion for the Great Commission, and uh, and we have enough enough basics in our theology that we can work together and, and leave the differences to the side. Well, that's such an incredible model, and that really aligns with one of uh, some of the language we, we like to use at Denver Seminary, which is charitable orthodoxy, uh, being very clear about the, the basics of the faith that are the pylons that we, we have to commit to, we can rest our lives on, and then give, giving a lot of space in the middle of that framework uh, for, for you know, different theological traditions and commitments that, that are not unimportant, but they are not the thing worth dividing or killing over, right? Uh, I wanna, I'm glad you brought that up, Howie, because I want to loop back to that here in just a moment. Alan, what were you going to Well, I just add? I wanted to add to what Howie was saying about just the, the camaraderie that we have together as opposed to in our own traditions here in this town. Um, our church, our people at Central Church of Christ have learned so much from worshiping at First Pres and at Polk Street. I remember the very first time, good night, this was six, seven years ago, when— um, we were going to do a Maundy Thursday service together at Polk Street at the Methodist Church. Well, Church of Christ, I mean, we're non-liturgical, we're non-credal. I mean, we don't— saying, what's that? I didn't know what Monday <laughs> meant, you know, and I'm trying to tell my church, you know, the Sunday before, look, it's communion, okay? We're good with communion. We do communion. And I said, I don't know anything about Monday, Thursday. I don't know what we're in for, but I'm preaching. And, you know, I'm preaching at the Methodist Church at a service. That I had to have somebody explain to me what Monday, Thursday even was. But now I've got— I've got a couple of hundred of my people who are just so blessed by that experience, so blown away by uh, the richness of that night and, uh, and the Ash Wednesday services now that we attend at, at First Pres and Polk Street. We don't do those at Central, but on a Wednesday night, I've got people coming into my church with black crosses on their foreheads, and it's such a, a foreign thing. It's something we're having to get used to, but it's so, it's just rich, and it's deep, and it's meaningful to us, and there's no way any of us experience that without this, without this uh, uh, collaboration together, and I, I praise God for it. You know, one thing that really impresses me about all this is um, that it, all four of your congregations are, are relatively relatively large, large-ish, and influential within this city. And I know from some of my own experience, I, I've served uh, quite a few years ago on the staff of a pretty large uh, church that was in many respects self-supporting, self-sustained, 
And we see this in many parts of the country where larger congregations that are pretty well resourced are able to kind of do their own thing and insulate themselves um, and don't really have a need to collaborate with anybody else uh, unless something forces them to. But they become kind of worlds unto themselves. Now, that's I'm trying to be more descriptive than evaluative in that. Um, I, I get it. I understand that. But what really impresses me about what y'all have done uh, is gone beyond that, as, as Howie mentioned, uh, where you, you probably didn't have to do that uh, and yet saw needs that transcended your, uh, your own denominational purview and distinctives and moved in a real kingdom sense out uh, well, moved together and then moved out toward those. Now, I'm, I'm curious, kind of in that vein of thought, I'm curious what have been along the way some of the challenges that you have faced in all of this? I think we've tried to respect core differences. For example, when we have the uh, Thanksgiving service at First Baptist Church, uh, we have the instruments, which the Church of Christ would normally not use in their worship. They have beautiful voices and harmonize so beautifully because they're not dependent upon the instruments. But even in that service, we sang some a cappella songs to make them feel comfortable, and their worship leader came up and led some of those songs. And But when we moved the service over to the Church of Christ, uh, we realized and actually even asked them not to use instruments uh, because that really wasn't uh, their culture. And we didn't want to offend anybody uh, within their congregation that might be offended by instruments. And so you got to, whatever might be essential to someone, you got to be res- respectful of that. And so if we're in the Baptist church, we're going to, the pipe organ is going to blast 5,000 pipes. But if we're doing it over at Central Church of Christ, the Baptists are going to just miss the instruments and everybody's okay because uh, it's not offensive to us not to, not to have instruments, but it might offend Uh, some of his members if we brought instruments and so just being respectful of each other and not making uh, a major over minors is kind of a meat sacrifice to idols a corinthian conversation they just respect you know the people's boundaries okay boy i i was thinking about this howie that first time we had the thanksgiving service at central we talked about it as a staff and elders and said, we need to reciprocate the same kind of hospitality the First Baptist showed us last year. We need to, we need to get these other three churches to put a band together or put a, put a, you know, a choir and a band and a symphony, whatever we need to do. We need to do the same thing. And Howie would have no part of it. And I, I remember that, and I am so grateful for that, that Howie said, no way, we're, we're not going to take that chance. And uh, I think we four look out for each other that way. And uh, by extension, we look out for each other's churches that way. I can't think, and I think this goes back to just the city of Amarillo. I can't think of a problem or a challenge or a hurdle that we've had to overcome at Central because of this. But I think that's just the nature of our community. Um, that first night, and again, this was seven years ago now, but when our people, our elders and our ministers all got together to pray together, it was like a Thursday night before that first Thanksgiving service. You know, you walk into a room of 100 church leaders from four different churches, and everybody knows everybody already. You've already got those friendships. You've already got those relationships. We coached our kids together. We went to school together. Our grandparents, you know, farmed this same land together. You already kind of had that built in, which uh, made it just, I think, really easy for us. I was thinking about the fact that many of my uh, members have family members over at Polk Street or First Baptist. And uh, then, like he said, the first time we got together for prayer, there's like, oh, we're, we're lawyers together and just that sense of connection. And I think it's allowed 
our relationship, our close relationship where we meet monthly together, the four of us, it's allowed some of our members to really realize they're a light of Christ in the community wherever they are, and they can collab- collaborate together as lawyers and, and uh, in different ways and different venues. I know it's been an encouragement to my people to know that, oh, you know, so-and-so is from First Baptist, and hey, we work together on that mission trip, and hey, we're, we, we're both attorneys at similar firms, and you know, it's great to see that there's that spiritual connection as well, the body of Christ. And I lift up what Alan preached on. I still remember the first time he preached at First Baptist, that first Thanksgiving service. You know, it was John 17. Uh, the ultimate prayer of Jesus was that we would be one, because by our unity, everyone would know that Jesus is from the Father. And it's our unity that points to the divinity of Christ. And so we want to lift up the unity of Christ, that we have much more in common than we have differences. We may have a different opinion on baptism, the way it's done, but you know what? The gospel's the same. The good news that Jesus died and rose again, that's the focus of our ministry. That's what we share and what we try to emphasize. Yeah, here, here, Mark. And I think uh, the Amarillo culture uh, doesn't just tolerate differences, they celebrate them. So I have people who, who tease me because they'll go to the Presbyterian service, the first uh, service on Sunday, and then come to my church. Or they'll go to my church and then to the Baptist church, literally every Sunday, because a Baptist married a Methodist or uh, a guy works with another guy that and wants to go sit with the doctor's kid at, at uh, First Pres. And so just that deep connection, um, people know how different they are. And they know the differences because you're right. People know each other really well here and they've seen each other grow up, but they're also very generous, not only financially, but relationally. They know each other and they know the differences and they celebrate them. Mm. Okay, let's uh, let's push that a little bit further, because uh, another feature of all of this that really impresses me is that uh, each of you and your congregations are still working from within a posture of commitment to your theological tradition. Uh, you're very generous within that, uh, within that framework of, of Christian historic orthodoxy. And yet unlike, um, and again, I'm not being critical, just descriptive, but unlike uh, many congregations in, in many parts of the country that have either been non-denominational altogether or have maintained a denominational affiliation, but have kind of soft-pedaled that or, or uh, subscripted that in, in some way in, for the sake of outreach. And again, it's, it's very understandable. Uh, interestingly, you, you each and your congregations remain clearly anchored in your own theological tradition. And I'm, I'm curious to have you speak to how your own theological tradition um, helps you interpret this engagement and not only some of the things you do together uh, more intramurally, but some of the external ministries you engage in. How does, how does your own theological tradition help you and your congregation understand what you bring to the table in these efforts? Does that make sense? I guess Polk Street is very diverse to begin with. So we have a very wide variety of people who come to Polk Street. And so a lot of churches, um, might be uh, nervous about that and anxious about that, especially in this day, especially in the United Methodist circles. But Polk Street isn't. And I love serving a church that's very diverse, not just one viewpoint. And so because of that, I think that our church loves celebrating that diversity, those differences of opinions, differences of ideas. It doesn't mean that they subscribe to them, but they celebrate them, they understand them, they can even articulate them in beautiful ways. But the thing is that uh, as we go to these different churches, what I've noticed is that 
people aren't anxious about it. Even if they say or hear something that might be different than their theological perspective, they don't feel like they have to go to bat. They don't get anxious about it. They don't have to defend it. We stand for who we are and we celebrate who other people are without having to change another person. Okay. Interesting. I would say part of the identity of the four Amarillo is that we do understand, respect each other's denominational traditions. And so we're not trying to convince anybody in any church to believe anything they don't want to believe. We kind of celebrate the unified core of theology. And I will have to give Alan a whole lot of credit. Uh, quite frankly, historically, I hope this is fair to say, the uh, Church of Christ have not held hands with a lot of people. And that church of the four wants to hold hands the most. And so when you have a church of Christ that's that embracing and loving, then, man, you just jump on board. I give a lot of credit to Alan leading his people to, uh, once they realize we could hold hands, they are, they're ready to go. Wow. You know, you, you're talking, Don, about just uh, how our denominational uh, beliefs and practices kind of play into this, I guess. I, I remember when, we were, when I was talking to our elders uh, about this, you know, hey, I've got these three friends, and we've got these three churches, and we've got some ideas. And my elders said, well, let's go for it. Let's do it, you know. Um, and we were talking about John 17 that night, that the world may know. This will be an undeniable witness to our city that Jesus is bigger than our differences, and he really is the Prince of Peace. If, if we can get these four churches together, and I said, well, there won't be a problem. But we did have to talk to our church about it. And uh, what was helpful to us, two things I'd say, uh, as Churches of Christ, uh, part of the American Restoration Movement, uh, we were a unity movement a long time ago. Believe it or not, <laughs> we, were, we were established to bring all Christians together. And uh, I had to remind my people of that. Hey, okay. we're going back to our roots. You know, yeah, we're, we're going to really, unify. Yeah, not a new thing, really. That's right. Uh, this is in our DNA, even though we're the, you know, the world champs at dividing. Uh, we're going to get back to our roots and we're going to unite. And so reading some Alexander Campbell and reading some Barton Stone, you know, about unity and about all Christians uh, uniting in the Lordship of Jesus, that was helpful for us. The other thing that I that I did with our church that I thought was helpful was um, giving them a scenario. And I asked the question. You know, do, do you think the churches of Christ have everything figured out? Are we perfect in everything, all doctrine, all belief, all practice? I mean, surely we don't think we've got all the answers to everything. And after 30 minutes or so, they agreed, you know, okay. we, we don't have it all took, took figured out. Yeah, and I said, well, well, what covers us in the places that, that maybe we have a misunderstanding? Or what covers us in, in the areas where we don't have everything exactly figured out? Well, it's the grace of God. And I said, you know, that same grace covers every Christian and every church, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Methodists. It's the same grace of God. They don't have everything figured out either. And uh, it's the same grace. And if we think we get more grace than they get, well, it doesn't get more arrogant than that. Yeah. You know, why? Because yeah. we're more sincere? Give me a break, you know? And so that's kind of the tack that we took with my church. But, but I'll say this. When we announced that we were doing this at the Central Church of Christ, we there was almost a stand there was a standing ovation that morning in the worship service and here's why i think it gave us language to articulate with our mouths and our brains what we already knew in our heart we know that we're united we know that we're all christians we know that god through jesus loves and saves every one of us through faith and so we already knew this in our heart we just didn't know how to say it 
And so once we gave our church the language, it was this sense of not just relief, although relief was part of it, but it was it was celebratory. Wow. Well said. Yeah, and no, I want to add to that. I, we do say the Apostles' Creed almost every Sunday, and one of the lines of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic being small c, universal church. Everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord is a part of that church. And so for us, this was kind of a natural thing. I mean, we have lots of uh, new church members. We're never trying to trade sheet, but occasionally someone will move to town, and they married a Methodist, and the person was a Baptist, and they find the Presbyterian Church to be kind of the nice middle way uh, denomination <laughs> for them. So they find their way to us or their former Church of Christ. And I joke with these guys, some of our members are, you know, they're Baptists or Church of Christ who just want to have a beer, and that's okay in the Presbyterian <laughs> world. So anyway, there's differences, but they're nearly not that significant because for us, we're all focused on Christ and Christ alone. Uh, you may uh, want to. Oh, we're just going to stop the podcast right there. That's a quite a great note to end on. Not really, <laughs> Howie. What I'm going to say may sound strange, but I found it easier to tolerate theological differences with people from other denominations than within. Baptist tradition. Okay. You ask us about how we each kind of carry mm-hmm. forth our own traditions. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. I would expect my Baptist brethren to baptize by immersion. I understand that not always is Polk Street going to baptize by immersion, and I wouldn't try to change their tradition. That's who they are. It's part of their identifying element, you know, to baptize a child. And so I get it, and I'm okay with it. I might be a little impatient with a Baptist who was really heavy into Reformed theology. I understand the Presbyterian tradition. I have some appreciation for it, and I can learn something from it. But coming from the Presbyterians, I'm great with it. I would expect a Baptist church to have a band or an organ or a piano and might think that's really odd if they were singing a cappella every Sunday. But what I understand is coming from a rich tradition, the Church of Christ, and how beautiful their a cappella music is, then I'm okay with it. So in the strangest way, as a Baptist, uh, being partners with people from different ecclesiastical cultures has allowed me to be more diverse. Okay. Does that sound strange? Yeah, no, not at all. It sounds remarkably redemptive. <laughs> In fact, uh, Howie was such an influence on us. We actually uh, purchased a portable uh, baptistry that allows you to do immersion. So we we do both Maybe modes of <laughs> we do both modes of baptism now. Thank you, Howie. But it's portable, not permanent. Yeah, it's portable, oh, yeah. not permanent. That's right. <laughs> We still yeah, sprinkle, you're, too. You're we hedging, let the parent decide. You're yeah. hedging your bets there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what, what advice would you men offer to those maybe in other contexts who would love to consider something like this where they are, but they may be at a very different place with regard to congregational capacity or openness or other challenging factors? What, what would you tell them? How, how, is, how is this potentially a model for people, you know, again, maybe in different, very different parts of the country, different, uh, different cultures, but they, they see the hand of God, the redemptive imprint on this kind of thing. Where do they start? You start by finding a friend in ministry that can be your prayer partner and someone with whom you share a apostles theology, a core theology. And then if those two pastors can get together, then it won't be long until their churches can have a Thanksgiving service together. Or maybe it's three, maybe it's four, maybe it's five. It doesn't matter. But it starts pastor to pastor, not church to church. If the, someone in the church is trying to push this on the pastors to get together, you're going to have a disaster. 
Uh, it just has to start with leadership. And if you can get a pastor that you don't even have to have an agenda to start, just call. Some, this started with pastor calling, inviting one pastor to lunch. Yeah. You called, invite another pastor yeah. to lunch. You call, invite another pastor to lunch. So you start at the head and then it can include the whole body. I was going to say it starts with cheese enchiladas. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, what doesn't? Yeah, of any exactly. Value. Only right. good can come from that. Um, you know, I, it's interesting to me that when we are, when you go to a funeral, you're holding hands and praying with people from other denominations, and nobody ever asks a question. When you're in a hospital room, you're holding hands around that sick person and praying to God and, and worshiping God, and nobody's asking any questions about how much water you use at baptism or how many organs are in your church. I mean, we don't, but when it comes to a worship assembly, you know, the doors are closed on that deal, and uh, that seems to be the last barrier. And for some reason, the most important barrier. And so um, I think all those other things have to come first. But for some reason, I think in this town, in this city of Amarillo, the fact that we were worshiping together, not collecting school supplies, not doing a, a, an ice cream supper for elementary kids, but the fact that we were actually worshiping together in each other's church buildings on Sundays, to me that was just this loud, undeniable testimony that God was at work, and uh, those other things have to come first. But those worship assemblies have been so powerful. Well, no, that's a, there's a rich theological statement right there yeah. that how, how much grows out of our doxology. Yeah. I, I just to add to that, I think one specific thing, and I think Howie's right. You know, he was very kind to invite me to lunch the first time, and I just wanted to pass it on and invite Alan, and then eventually invited Bert, and through that friendships formed. But what was also powerful was that we did a pulpit swap to say, hey, could you come and preach in our my pulpit? And, and Alan did the same for me, and, and I've been over to First Baptist. And just that's that's huge. When your congregation can see that you're allowing, you know, a pastor from a neighbor, neighboring church to come and share the Word of God and realize there's a lot more in common than there is different when it comes to understanding Scripture mm. and God's call mm. to make disciples of all nations. Mm. Yeah. So what is the—Mark, oh, go ahead. i just say uh, be aware of relationships. Be aware of those around you because um, they're— if you're a pastor and you're going into a, a new church or a new area, you're not like the new thing. I mean, the, the church has been there, is there, and probably will be there after you're gone. Look and see what relationships are already there and kind of form into them because probably there's a ministerial alliance. There's probably other churches that have collaborated for funerals, for weddings. There's already relationships. So if you walk into something like that, Notice what's going on, be self-aware, understand the dynamics, and try to fit in and kind of work into it. I came into this, at, uh, this was already going seven years uh, before I started. So it's like uh, like I'm the new new date, you know what I mean? Like uh, I'm, I'm the new spouse or whatever, like, wow. You know, they're all talking about all these old history things. I'm like, okay, well, good for you guys, yeah. But it's a, it's a learning stature. And yeah. so, uh, so part of it in any community, and in most communities I've been in, there's a strong ministry alliance where people want to join together. They want to work together. No one has enough resources. Every church needs to collaborate and do great things for the kingdom of God, not only within the denomination, but within differences and geographical locations. So I would just say for a young seminarian or someone who's about to start church, if you're looking around, look and see what's already kind of there. And then also geographically or within your denomination, but what works, what fits, and uh, what would be conducive for your people? 
Okay. So what do you all, last question, what do you all, well, almost last question, what would you all like to do in the future? Where do you see the partnership headed uh, in, in building on the strengths and the relationships, uh, the track record you already have? Uh, what are some of the needs of this city that you really hope to be able to address in the future as a four Amarillo? Well, you asked about the city. I was actually thinking about a global trip that Mark and I have talked about. Um, my church hasn't done a trip to the Holy Land in a very long time, and we were talking about maybe collaborating on that. But I know the global missions was where I was kind of going with what would I like to see next because uh, we, we serve all over the world as well, and I think that would be powerful for us to begin to introduce each other to the partnerships we have around globally. Because I know as a former missions pastor, when I went to Cuba, there weren't any Presbyterians. We work with Pentecostals and we work with Baptists, Bautistas, as they would say in Spanish, you know, because they were focused on Christ and trying to make disciples. So denominational barriers are, are almost uh, not, they don't exist uh, globally in the global church because it's all about Jesus and trying to lift him up. So I was thinking globally, but maybe you guys have an idea for local. On that global note, I was going to say, we take mission trips uh, all over the world every summer, and I may have two slots that I need a nurse to go on or uh, so probably uh, if we ever get to the point where we can kind of merge our ministry opportunities more so that their folks could go on some of our trips and we could go on, on some of their trips and really as far as what the city I think the city now comes to us and uh, the reality is we haven't had to sit around and think of new things people know that the four churches are doing things together so everybody who's got a ministry idea says hey how about the four downtown churches <laughs> and so uh, we don't have to manufacture ideas in fact we're having to filter ideas oh, because okay. uh, you know we are busy individually and uh, and so that hasn't stopped I mean First Baptist still has a full functioning slate of missions and ministries from here in town to around the globe and that's true of each of these churches and so it's trying to find the thing that we could do better together than we would do individually and there's still some things we do better individually uh, because we just wouldn't fit the sheer numbers you know there's not one space to house all the people of these thousands of religious folks in downtown Amarillo so once you get it going you're going to find that the community is going to come to you because that's a one-stop shop well put well put Okay, final question. Lots of folks, as I said in the intro, lots of folks know where Amarillo is and are probably driven through here on I-40, going somewhere else. And I want to put in a plug for the culinary culture of this city. Uh, as I've um, kind of immersed myself in it here and there over the last few years, uh, this is, th there's some good eats here. And for all the people who as yet may drive through here on I-40, and need to stop and get a meal other than the big chain places forget those where do they what should be on everybody's culinary bucket list when they come through amarillo howard this is texas you got to go tex-mex i would say get on route 66 6th street specifically it's actually in the san jacinto neighborhood it's called braceros braceros mexican restaurant excellent excellent fajitas i just had lunch there today nice <laughs> nice yeah so i'll give an amen to that uh i'm partial to tyler's barbecue uh one of texas monthly's top 50 barbecue joints in texas i think yes. the only one that they've rated uh in the panhandle and uh you can't beat that good stuff get there early though because they run out well i'm the skinny boy of the group this is the baddest <laughs> 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 oh, somebody's going to pay for that comment. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and uh, my favorite place is a place called Eat Right, where you get the good fruits and vegetables. Really good uh, plant-based salad bar there. Oh boy, they're they're gonna they're gonna line up out down the block for that. If you're traveling through Amarillo, I want to challenge you to eat the big Texan. Eat the 72-ounce steak, and it's free. If you eat it all in one if hour, you eat it all along in one with hour, everything go else. Go for it. Check it out online. You can watch it anytime oh, wow. that they're open. And it's, a, it's comical. Oh. But I'll tell you, we had the best barbecue cook-offs here. Uh, I was a judge for one of them this year. And um, out of 12 ribs, all of them were spec. So if you get to come to a festival or a party here and come and and, uh, and eat some barbecue, you will love it. This is great. Okay, we, we could we could make a whole other podcast out of this, just a culinary Amarillo Eats. But we'll uh, we'll maybe save that for another time. Gentlemen, thank you. Howie Batson from First Baptist. Mark um, Will, Will Scheimer, sorry, from uh, Polk Street United Methodist. Alan Stangland from Central Church of Christ. Howard Griffin from First Presbyterian here in Amarillo, Texas. Gentlemen, thank you very much, and God bless you all for what you're doing. May the Lord just make your tribe increase and and continue to make this work flourish. This is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, your host, and we're glad you've been with us and hope that you'll join us again for another conversation next week. Take care.